0: Oh,
1: hey if you can't enjoy the simple pleasures right
0: yeah that's true oh, i gotta get a yawn and a stretch in and then we'll be good to go
1: it's weird being back in the groove of this you know
0: yeah it's been it was uh, a couple of weeks yeah it
1: has it has kind of lost the rhythm and uh yeah it's good to be back in but it's kind of finding my footing again
0: i know it is weird it's um but well, we had just I did a little speed round episode for. I last, heard it. Last, yeah, oh, did listen you listen? To it? It, yeah, I didn't know if you caught up on the episodes. If you're yeah. listening to them at all, yeah, I do. How do you think it's going so far?
1: I'm enjoying it. I don't know if anyone else is. <laughs> I finally come to the point where I can tolerate my own voice. Really? Yeah, it took a
0: long time to get there. Well, good. But uh, I, I've tolerated your voice for a long time. You <laughs> know, so, so many other people. <laughs> uh, well, we've hit over a thousand downloads. So. Are we really? Yeah. Wow! So, thank you to the listeners. All right, <laughs> for doing that. All right, break the four-digit mark. Yeah, I'm gonna. That's exciting. Close those shades a little bit. Okay. You know that
1: hot pepper spice you get like at pizza places, the pepper flakes. I don't know if it's cayenne or yeah, those chili or the chilies flakes. that they grind up and yeah. what. I got that in my eye
0: once. That was oh, a terrible experience. Seriously, that was like being maced. Oh, dude, that sucks. Yeah. And then, of course, you can't wipe it, you know, because it's all over your hands. And... Oh, I know. And you can't yeah. touch anything else. Yeah. Any other sensitive tissue. It's just yeah. bad. That hurt. Even if you get on your lips or on your... Have you ever been pepper sprayed or maced? I have not. I mean, I had a can of pepper spray once. I think I'd gotten it for Julie. She was running or something. And yeah. just kind of it and it just had a little bit on my finger. And just that enough was like... Whoa. I could just, you know... We were discharging a can of it once outside of the front yard, and this is back when we lived in town, not where we're at.
1: So it's like houses everywhere, and uh, the wind shifted. It was summer, oh. and it blew it all in the house. Now, granted, it wasn't like a direct blast, but we were choking <laughs> on that. For... <laughs> oh man! No, I t- you know I got a I have some friends who are cops though, and you know it's kind of standard practice and training is you know you have to be pepper yeah. sprayed, you have to experience to get tased, to you know things like that, and oh, there, there, there's that like sick part of me that just wants to, you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Do they also have See to like get like. shot in the chest or anything? No,
1: fortunately not. I don't think that's part that's of the
0: right. routine. Mauled by the police dog? Yeah, right, right. Have you ever been mauled by a police dog? I have not been mauled by a police dog. No,
1: I actually have, and that is a lot of fun. Well,
0: okay, you need to explain that a little bit. How'd you get mauled by a police What were you doing? <laughs> no, was it, it was a felony?
1: It a, no, it was a training event. Sure, uh Sure. It was. There... <laughs> that's what you tell the children. A friend of a uh, friend of a friend kind of thing it's always one of these right um yeah. bred german shepherds for civil service it's actually how we got our german shepherd ah, uh, cool. our dog Roxy is a dog that just wasn't big enough or would qualify for it there wasn't a place yeah but he would breed dogs for civil service be it you know canine bomb sniffers you know whatever it happened to be mm-hmm. and well, you know they would do the basic obedience training and then beyond that start doing the attack training so you know they <laughs> put you in the suit and then they say Run and then you have this 150 pound oh German gosh. Shepherd bearing down on you, and you know, just takes the well, what's arm the thing like? and takes it, you down.
0: Are you like running around like the state puff marshmallow man? Or <laughs> a little something?
1: bit, a, a little bit. It's 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 uh, you know, it's like this big overall thing that you put over your clothes, and then you put this big arm guard on just on one arm, and uh, yeah, and that's kind of hopefully they know which arm the, to grab <laughs> the shock of it because you know, your, your head was still exposed, and you know, wow. it was just kind of like snow pants where there wasn't like a coat that we were wearing, wow. and it was kind of fun. In the sense that, I mean, the power of the dog was incredible, but for the German shepherd, it was all play. I mean, the (laughs) eyes are like, like lit up and the tail's wagging. And, and he said, there's two ways you train animals. One is that you, you beat them until they're mean and Mm. angry. And then there's the better way where you turn it into love and play for the master who's commanding it. And so for the dog, <laughs> yes, I mean I'm sure there's a protectionist instinct that will kick in at certain times in certain contexts. Sure, but in the training, it's just
0: so the you know, criminal is running and getting mauled, and the dog is like, it's Well, fun?
1: yeah, and chasing it down <laughs> and, and taking it down, you know, like how dogs play. You ever see like a dog play hard, <laughs> yeah, like on a tug oh, of yeah, rope, yeah. Tug a, 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 a war rope okay, or something yeah. like that? That's exactly what it was like. But it's this hundred and fifty pound dog on top of you trying to gore <laughs> through your arm. And then of course there's like pets and good boys and treats afterwards sure. and like all that kind of stuff. And even in the training, it's like he'd give me this like it was like a two-foot stick and it was like a leather thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a club, but like with kind of whack. And he's like, You got you gotta hit him. It's Holy like Holy Cow. You feel weird. It's like I'm not gonna hit the dog, like, no, dog? it's okay. He's okay with it. And so, you know, they got to get used to like the struggle back and some of the fight back and didn't phase him at all. It was, wow. it was like wrestling with dad and like, you know, sometimes you wrestle with dad mm-hmm. and it's going to hurt, yeah. but it's good and it's yeah. right. And it, it was a cool experience. Yeah. It's not violent. Yeah.
0: It's just rough. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was a really, really cool experience. So when the perpetrator just takes off running, does the officer say, fetch Fido, fetch. <laughs> That I don't know. <laughs> Come dragging them back. <laughs> uh, no, it was, it was command-based, though. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. We could probably use that as humans a little bit. Yeah, no kidding. I was listening on the radio the other day, which in and of itself is not that unusual, but they were <laughs> um, some uh, folks who do a parenting podcast were talking um, about how they had spoken with an expert, and their podcast was revolving around training your children like you train dogs. Hmm. It's very, very similar. Hmm. The same type of reward systems, the same type of, you know, good boys and, you know, not doing negative training. Right. 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 not Positive reinforcement. Positive yeah. reinforcement and such. And it's very interesting. So, huh. so if I have another set of kids someday, maybe I'll yeah, right? Right? <laughs> not screw them up as much. Oh, boy. Well, it has been a few weeks. So we've gotten a lot of questions in, which is great. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's do this. <laughs> actually going to start off with a note that we got in. This is from Tina, your wife. All right. <laughs> this is I a- would almost <laughs> rather you tell me it's anonymous. No, because it's not a question. It's a statement? It's a, oh, <laughs> this is even better. That I have to read. It's a little bit long. Um, this is regarding episode 16, where she had asked a question about Cain and Abel. So okay. listeners, if you want to pause and go back and listen to that one, might provide a little bit more context. But here's what she says. <laughs> She says, you know, when Dave and I were first married, I quickly realized he couldn't read my mind. After 22 years of marriage, he still can't read my mind. Now, after listening to episode 16, I know that he doesn't even listen to me when I talk out loud. (laughs) (laughs) At Thanksgiving dinner, I asked the question, how long did Cain kill his brother? We talked about it. I said, it's a great question for the podcast. And Dave even watched as I typed the question on the website. (laughs) So how long did Cain kill his brother? The answer, as long as he was able. Ugh, oh, that's terrible. That is, Honey, that, that, that's terrible. I appreciate the effort he gave in answering the question on episode 16, even though it was way off. And she has a little XOXO type of thing, yeah, presumably yeah. for you. Yeah. Said, seriously, Mark, you should kiss him from me right now. Yeah, that's not going to happen, Mark. You stay on your side of the mic. I don't want to get in trouble from from Tina. Well, that's true. How about yeah. I just blow you a Yeah, there we go. There oh. we go. That was lovely. Wait, well, don't get ca- you caught that one on your lips, dude. That was gross. You <laughs> Turn your face close yeah. to your cheek. Yeah, I, I'm not making eye no. contact now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh then she finishes off by saying, I guess not being able to read my mind and not remembering things I say keeps our marriage fresh and interesting. <laughs>
1: it keeps it something, right?
0: <laughs> love You gotta uh. love Tina, man. Positive spin. All right. In fact, I bet Dave doesn't remember lots of things. Like that he was going to take me out to a romantic dinner tonight. And then after dinner, he offered to give me a back row while watching This Is Us and not The Goldbergs. <laughs> <laughs> so that's much love from your wife, Tina. And, you know, we actually got a ton of marriage questions in over the last month. I have Did no really? idea why. Huh. A bunch of them. So we may uh, hit a lot of marriage stuff as we move forward along this episode. Should we do that? Let's do it. All right. I'm going to start with one. A lot of the questions are similar. Do you want to intro? Um, yeah, we could do that. Just just a thought. <laughs>
1: We're eager, we're eager, it's 2019 and there's a backlog. I know we were missing
0: something. (laughs) All right, well, welcome to the podcast, everyone. My name is Mark Chaffee, your friendly neighborhood podcast cruise director. This is Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church, the only podcast you'll ever need. With me, as always, is my good friend, my pastor, my boss, the man who makes me happier than matching all pairs of socks on laundry day, David Godini. Hey, everyone. That was epic was. So how this works is you, the listener, you submit the questions, easiest way is via our website, questions you never thought you could ask in church.com. You can also hit us up on uh, social media, all the channels at Can't ask in church. Submit your questions that way. What happens? I get them in. I call through them. I sort them out. I pick out the ones that, um, I think are awesome. I plop Dave down in front of the microphone and uh, kind of start tossing him in his face, and he answers them unrehearsed and on the spot. He has no idea what's coming at him. It's a lot of fun, so get your questions in. And uh, Dave, I ask this all the time, what kind of questions uh, should the listeners be submitting to you? You can
1: submit any question you want. Obviously, it's the questions you don't think that you can ask in church, the questions that you think are embarrassing, the questions you think that will get you judged, the questions that you've been wrestling with, the questions that you assume everyone else knows in reality, they don't, and that you've been carrying around secretly. It's the questions that uh, are small, the questions that are large, the questions that might be specific, and the questions that might be uh, systemic, whatever they are, God, life, theology, the Bible. Guys, we welcome you to send them on in, and uh, as
0: Mark said, we'll do the best job we can to help you out. All right, should we do it now? Now let's do it. So we have a bunch of these marriage questions that came, in. a lot of them are actually very similar. But I'll start off with one that kind of sets the preface for these, and they are fantastic. So I'm actually spin back and just read through some of the questions, um, the other ones, because there are some nuances that are Mm -hmm. kind of interesting. Sure. So we'll start off with this one, came in anonymously via the website. In Luke chapter 20, there's a section that describes the Pharisees asking Jesus about marriage once we are resurrected. Jesus says there's no need for people to marry or be given in marriage since we no longer die and will be like the angels. I've heard Pastor Dave respond in other questions that the Garden of Eden is a prototype for life post-resurrection, and Adam and Eve were married then, or at least committed to one another. So, will marriage matter post-resurrection? Will all of our family and friends, relationships for that matter, bear any significance or importance at that time either? Or do we walk around in the new heaven, new earth, waving at a distance, but have the same level of connection with everyone there? Yeah, fantastic question. Yes, the
1: way you need to picture the the, the coming age is something akin to Eden. Now, now, it's not a complete match of the Garden of Eden, where we're regressing back to the beginning of creation. But it's the patterns that God set in place in Eden that, have, of course, developed and built upon. Marriage, of course, being one of those things. Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve, you might be able to make an argument weren't married by our definition and yet were the prototype of what marriage today is supposed to capture. Right. And so there's something in that inherent relationship between Adam and Eve that will be built upon that is built upon that we will be uh, enjoying in the eschaton to use that language when it comes meaning when Christ comes again new heavens new earth and sure. we're, we're resurrected beings. Right. You know th- the statement that Jesus makes that we'll be like the angels has caused a lot of confusion over the years. Some have mistakenly taken it to, to think that somehow we'll no longer be physical beings, but that we'll be spiritual beings in the sense of non-material. Right. And I don't think that's what Jesus is indicating. I'd like to take this a number of ways, uh, another way, but but I'll preface this by saying that there are several ways people have nuanced out this passage from Jesus that we've just referenced in Luke and it's, it's paralleled in Matthew as well. I have to be careful as I say this, but go with me for a minute. In a sense, marriage is a law based human institution. Right. Now that goes very contrary to, I think, what most Christians hear in that what we teach, where we say it's divinely instituted by God. I believe that fully. What I'm trying to tease out is that marriage fundamentally today has become defined as a legal relationship. It is something of the law Mm -hmm. and it's a legal relationship simply because we are fallen, broken creatures and we need the law to curb us in and give us guidelines and protect us from our own corruption and sinfulness. Interesting. And so, what God designed a lifelong monogamous union between a man and a woman to be enjoyed and grown into Mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, lifetime. Yeah. Lifetime. Mm -hmm. Arguably we see, of course, in our own day and age, um, falls apart. Right. Uh, Divorce is rampant. Um, the heartbreak that comes in marriages that don't divorce is, is prevalent. Um, the, 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 the seduction and allure of other people that, that every married couple, faces at some point. It it all kind of comes in. And the Sadducees who don't believe in resurrection are trying to catch Jesus in in almost an argument ad absurdum. Mm. Uh, uh, It's a philosophical trap of extending how marriage might logically work in the new heavens and new earth to some extreme case of like seven spouses and and in the Mosaic law. So this is obviously stupid. So there can't be a resurrection. See, this is actually the Sadducees point.
0: So hold on. Okay. So what are, who or what are the Sadducees?
1: It's a small religious group. It was a group of religious leaders in Jerusalem predominantly Mm -hmm. in the first century AD, not just restricted to there. They were kind of the movers and the shakers of the temple, often the priests. Okay. And those who were, really in political
0: control. So they had
1: legal authority At least authority too? formally. Okay. They, they seem to be the ones who represented the people before Rome and gotcha. had the clout, the political clout in Jerusalem, be okay. that due to political position or wealth or status or, or you know, whatever else it might be. But they're notable okay. for a number of things. Um, in. The key one for this purpose is they did not believe it would seem in any sense of heaven or hell as we would think about it or resurrection in an afterlife,
0: right? Because that. this is post Jesus death and resurrection, first of all. Well, the Sadducees were around before Jesus' death and resurrection, right? But the concept of and
1: no, uh, yeah. no, no, regardless, because the Pharisees were another group who strongly believed oh, okay. in angels and demons and heaven gotcha. and hell and resurrection, even before Jesus was on the scene okay. as well. So it's not like Jesus was novel in inventing some idea, okay. but the Sadducees not believing in this are trying mm-hmm. to trap Jesus with some of what they view as being absurdities with the marriage argument in the new creation. Hmm. I mean, I think you can go case in point to people who have been widowed today. Right. And then you're remarried. Well, who am I married to? Exactly. In
0: the new heaven and the world. Those new earth. questions come up all the time. And,
1: and Jesus has this amazing way of always taking it from a different angle that wasn't expected and not getting trapped into people's <laughs> wrong questions, but clarifying it from a third place. Yeah. And he just kind of comes in and he's like, guys, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even understand marriage, let alone the eschaton. Yeah. Um, we're going to be like the angels and that's saying marriage is no longer a part of what exists Mm -hmm. in the new heavens and new earth. But when I say marriage is no longer in existence in the new heavens, new earth, go back to what I said earlier about marriage being a law based human institution. We no longer need legality and code in the new heavens, new earth when we are renewed and the corruption of sin is gone. Now, Jesus doesn't explain how our relationships will work in the new heavens and new earth. But there's a lot of evidence to suggest that, yes, those we love in this age, we will know and love In the next age, that those of us who have been married to two or three people and have lost spouses ahead of time and will see them in the next, you know, lost them in this age, we'll see them in the next age and it won't be weird. (laughs) Now, that doesn't per se mean that you're getting your, you know, three bedroom house with the white picket fence Mm -hmm. and and, and doing what we think of as marriage in this side of things,
0: but there'll be something better there'll be something deeper and richer that will be explored there. And there certainly are, I think a lot of people, and, and this is reflected in some of these additional questions that came in one saying, uh, will I have a relationship with my husband and children in heaven? I think you answered that. We'll have some type of relationship apparently may not be the same, right? We don't know. And I think the key word is better. Okay. Because I think a
1: lot of times when we say we'll have some type of relationship, Mm. it almost feels like we're giving a little something up. We're losing something. It's It's still exclusive, though. Like We feel like there'll be a shadow of something. Well, you know, uh, (laughs) this is getting speculative, but when it comes to, let's say, just the issue of sexuality, Adam and Eve were created
0: sexual beings. If we're raised again, to what degree are we sexual beings and that's where several of these questions other questions are are coming from actually go one saying this is from some from mchenry illinois who loves green peppers on their pizza i think he's texted before actually i remember (laughs) the green pepper man um, yeah yeah. could have been a different one they say i guess more than one person could love (laughs) green peppers yeah uh they actually said uh they identified themselves as embarrassed to say who they are Um, but yeah the question was will there be sex in heaven and will it be with your earthly spouse, or will there be some level of promiscuity? <laughs> <laughs> it, that, that has always kind of been um, one of these speculative points based on Jesus'
1: comments. Going, do do we become as- asexual or non-sexual right. beings, or mm-hmm. is it like free love and <laughs> right. you know the constraints aren't sure. there? And, and of course, it's an unanswerable question if you're looking for a proof text, right? But one element of this that i think's often overlooked that ties into the sex equation is an actual purpose of sex that really isn't the purpose of sex for most people anymore and that purpose is procreation right you know since the prevalence of birth control in the 1930s procreation has been divorced in many ways from, from sex. sex
0: that's a new phenomenon mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean people didn't enjoy sex. Oh, no, but not you at just all. Expected not that. at all,
1: but, but they, they, they were much more married, shall we say. <laughs> right. And part of the purpose of sex as it was given to Adam and Eve, and even through Abraham and the covenant with circumcision, is to fill the earth. Right. It doesn't <laughs> seem that there will be a need to refill the new heavens and the new earth
0: no need to procreate
1: i don't have a proof text Mm -hmm. but i think it is a safe theological assumption that procreation will no longer be part of the new heaven new earth that we will be Mm -hmm. like the angels. Now, how that ties into the sexual aspects of our being, of course, remains unanswered. Mm. But for every 25 or even 35-year-old listening who's freaking out, thinking (laughs) there's going to be no sex in heaven, how are they going to live for an eternity? You know what I mean? Just keep going back. God has something better Mm -hmm. in store. The God who created sex physicality, the intimacy that's created through that, the joy, the Mm -hmm. pleasure, the passion, all of that, that goes with it. Yeah. What is it like to think about is only experiencing a shadow of that now Mm -hmm. to the full reality or greatness of what an unbroken new heaven, new
0: earth. And I think those of us who have been probably in longer term relationships and have a deeper understanding just via experience and just life, realizing that Sex and intimacy are not inextricably linked. And we often confuse that early on and, mm-hmm. and that the ultimate uh, euphoria, I guess, for lack of better term, is that true intimacy. Now, sex can certainly play a role in that. But I think what you're saying is that if we're only getting a, a dim glimpse of what true intimacy is like here, and we get that through a spouse in you know many, many regards, what will true ultimate intimacy better intimacy look like on the other side will it actually have to include sex if we use the term oneness yeah to be one with god yeah doesn't mean to become god
1: or get get amalgamated into god but to experience that sense of oneness that then becomes the paradigm for the two becoming one flesh in human relationships what does oneness look like in a new heaven new earth and that's where the ultimate pleasure comes. But to from. the point of the passage in Luke, to become like the angels, I think is commenting less on sex specifically as it is on the institution of marriage, that angels do not marry and procreate as with far as each we other. Know. Well, well, I we mean d- don't get in a... me
0: into the Nephilim right now and stuff like that. But <laughs> well, we talked in a previous episode, Jesus a little about here. the angels, and you had mentioned that. You know, we don't have a ton of information biblically on them, so there is some speculation. But we
1: do have Jesus' statement here in the context of the Sadducees' argument, which is surrounding mm, marriage. Right. And Jesus' point of referencing the angels is to say that this marriage thing that you think has to work itself out Mm -hmm. in the new heavens and new earth isn't a reality because it's going to be more like what the angels are experiencing.
0: So here on the earth, marriage is basically a necessary evil. (laughs) (laughs)
1: No, no. I I think it's far the opposite. Uh, I think marriage is a gift and that the purpose of the law of marriage is to protect that gift Mm -hmm. because it is so easily eroded or destroyed Yeah. that God says, here's a way of doing it. And here's a way of interacting with other people, both, both, um, uh, in exclusive natures, like in a marriage relationship, but also, um, what's restricted there versus what's, um, allowable in other contexts. And yeah.
0: You mentioned, uh, the parallel or Jesus talking about again in Matthew. Um, I think that there was one question. I think that actually points to this in Matthew 22 where I think there's a different nuance on this. The uh, listener asks in Matthew 22, there's a mention of a woman who eventually marries seven brothers from one family as she married the next brother after each of her husband's died. Will she know all of them or be married to them in heaven? Again, same well, kind of question. it's
1: the same question as Luke. I mean, Luke lists right. out the seven brothers as well. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not, it's not pulling out anything different. But yeah. back to the legal code of marriage. In the Old Testament, if your brother died and his wife was left a widow, mm-hmm. you had the responsibility to marry his widow, to protect her, to provide for her, and to continue a family line and legacy on. Mm-hmm. And so the children born to you and your Deceased brother's wife mm-hmm. don't actually carry your name or inheritance, they carry Here's your, your brother.
0: brothers. That's you're, right. You're,
1: you're kind of vicariously stepping in, yeah. which has all kinds of cool, like little hints of <laughs> other things later on. But going, these aren't realities in the new heaven and new earth, right? First of all, death isn't a reality in the new heaven, sure. new earth, right? Let alone all these other yeah. uh, codes that have to surround marriage in the way that we so. You know,
0: get it wrong. And I love, I love how Jesus uses kind of the extreme seven brothers. You know, hey, this is what happens. This is what happens this week, So keep well, it going. Well, the Sadducees yeah. use or, yeah. the example, and they're
1: doing it to push the argument push the to the limit. point of absurdity. Yeah. And it is kind of absurd. It is, and that was their point. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus' point is, you're not even asking the right question. You just don't get it.
0: So what is the right question? If you would have to like boil it down to just that short little, what is that question that's really coming out? Well, the question
1: that the Sadducees should have been asking is simply this, is there a resurrection?
0: Wow. They're going in with the assumption there is not. So this is what they were trying to scope out, not necessarily the legal issue of marriage?
1: No, 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 no. Matthew and Luke are explicit in this, that that the Sadducees, they're they're testing Jesus and they're trying to trap him. They're trying to make him look absurd. They're trying to point out the flaws and fallacies in his teaching and in his Pharisaic ways. I mean, their Mm -hmm. target goes beyond Jesus, but certainly lightning rods through him.
0: Yeah, that was a, a host of uh, the marriage questions that came in. <laughs>
1: Everyone is worried. Everyone is worried. Will I know. I know my spouse in heaven, and can I have sex in the afterlife?
0: <laughs> it, it seems uh yeah, very prolific in our minds. There were a few other questions that came in that I you know didn't write down, but a lot of a lot of them do actually come down to sex. And I yeah. think you know our brains are just wired that way. Like I actually heard someone. Um, answer when they were asked, you know, will there be sex in heaven? The answer was, well, wouldn't really be heaven if there wasn't sex. But <laughs> Again, the better question is to ask, yeah. will there be sex in the new heaven and new earth? Well, yeah. <laughs> and we don't really know.
1: But it does, it does show that this is such a central part of who we are. It's a central it part of our identity and our being. And that while, unfortunately, sometimes for some people it becomes the sole point of our identity and being we are sexual beings. Yeah. And this is created by God as something
0: good. And it is something that is important to us. And one thing we do know for sure is that there will be true intimacy, one with God. I've heard this
1: comment that sometimes celibate people are the most sexual people of all. And the comment or the point being made by that is not that somehow they're into aberrant sexuality or pornography or Mm -hmm. or sex addicts or obsessed with sexuality but that being a sexual being is something far deeper than just the act of oh yeah physicality it's body soul and
0: spirit just all and that you
1: are still a sexual being whether you are a virgin or not, right. whether you're celibate or not, mm-hmm. whether you, you're engaging in an act or not, it's part of who we are. And yeah. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Cool. That's great. All right. Should we move on? Let's move on. This one came in from the website, from Tina, whose favorite pizza topping is onions. The question says, who the heck is, quote, milk is a deck, unquote, or if voice translate could actually understand me, who is Melchizedek?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great question because he's, uh, he's mentioned very little. You'll find him in Genesis 14. Melchizedek is this, well, Melik is the, the Hebrew word for king. Tzadik is the Hebrew word for righteousness or righteous. So Melchizedek actually means king of righteousness. Hmm. And, Whether that's his actual name or that's a title given to him, I mean, who knows? But he's mentioned in Genesis 14, and he's uh, a king of one of these tribes or city-states in Canaan, not of the tribe of Abraham, not of the the family of Abraham. Mm -hmm. And just strangely, he's one of these kings that Abraham interacts with and then pays tribute to, which is a surprising move given that God had made this promise to Abraham that the land would be his and he would inherit it. And little nothing is really said beyond that about him, which of course leads to speculation. And so you see that the Psalm writers pick up on this. And then the book of Hebrews makes a lot of this king of righteousness, because anytime there's one of these like enigmatic figures of the bible like enoch is another one <laughs> all the speculative writers of the intertestamental period and stuff just start going hog wild creating mythologies around <laughs> them right. what if scenarios it's it's sure. uh, something i almost equated to is like when you look at the well-loved epics of our generation take star wars maybe if it's an easy out mm-hmm. go before disney bought it go before all the prequels were and everyone wants to know Who's Darth Vader and who's Boba Fett? And and the the novels start coming out as people, (laughs) you know, not authorized, but writing on these kinds of things because there's such an interest and an intrigue around. The same thing kind of Mm. happened with Melchizedek. And what's fascinating is that the writer to the Hebrews will make a big point of using Melchizedek as a model for how Jesus can be a priest, even though Jesus is not of the line of Levi, which is the priesthood in the Mosaic uh-huh. code, so there's a lot of kind of deep, cool, twisted in a good way theology that that's cropped up around him. But I just encourage the readers check out things like Genesis 14, Psalm 110, Hebrews 6 on right. you know, and uh, maybe
0: it's five on five or six on, but it's like right in that package there, and you'll uh, you'll yeah. see what the Bible has to say about him. Not that I'm a Melchizedek expert by any means. <laughs> I don't know who is, but. One thing I always found interesting was that he, Melchizedek actually was sent to bless Abraham, right? In some sense. And if he's kind of from the outside, because here's Abraham, he's got this blessing from God. You are the children of God. You're my chosen people. If Melchizedek was not an Israelite, but yet he comes to bless Abraham, is that God saying, hey, he's on the outside. He's not an insider, but... I can still use him.
1: Well, you do get that kind of of idea, yeah, coming forward, and uh, you know, I I don't know how much we want to read this together online, or how much we just kind of leave it at what it is. I don't know. I just find it interesting, Um, but yeah, there is all this kind of. Well if Abraham's the chosen one what's God doing through this other person who's who,
0: not chosen apparently or
1: yeah and, and and seems to be even in like the Jerusalem area before David ever established Jerusalem as his right. and seems capital to have,
0: and seems to have some connection with God or with Yahweh
1: yeah so it's just it's filled with all these these questions that that fundamentally are unanswered mm-hmm. but the later later biblical writers and non-biblical writers kind of pick up on yeah. and use as devices to to explain theological points yeah. or create even
0: and for me, I like to know how, how does that apply to my life? How right do, you know right? How do I uh, accept wisdom and guidance maybe from non-Christians, or God can use others regardless? I see you're reading it right now. You're, yeah you're no, looking I, I for just, wisdom.
1: Well, and I just <laughs> wanted to know if it's something that we wanted to read or if we just leave it at that. And yeah. I mean, I don't want to bog down on this if you don't, but if
0: no, I find it fascinating if it's
1: well let me read the pertinent passage out of uh, Genesis 14, sure, and we're going to get the complete Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. Account, you're going to see how short it is. Uh, just remember the storyline where we're at that Abraham and Lot, Lot is his nephew, come to Canaan and they're trying to figure out how to divide the land up. And Abraham more or less gives Lot the first choice. Mm-hmm. And Lot goes one way, Abraham goes another, and then Lot
0: gets in trouble with the locals. And Abraham is basically the top of the tree. For the children of Israel. Yeah, correct. Correct. The the chosen one. So this is the beginning. This is the beginning. Okay.
1: And already he's giving the promise thing over to his nephew, Lot. (laughs) 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 Lot gets into trouble and Abraham has to go rescue him. Okay. And so um, after Abram, he's Abram now, he's not renamed Abraham yet, same guy. After Abram returned from defeating Keto which is one of these like chieftains or warlords that Mm-hmm. you know, was in on it with lot and the Kings allied with him. The King of Sodom came out to meet him in the Valley of Shava. That's the King's Valley. Then Melchizedek King of Salem. Now you hear Salem means peace. His, mm-hmm. The King of righteousness. Who's the King of peace is actually what that means. Mm. And a lot of people will tie that into Jerusalem, ah. meaning he may have actually been the King of the city that later became Jerusalem. Holy cow. Which has all these other kinds of like God's chosen city, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you can see why people go with That's this. That's so cool. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, this is verse 18, if our, if our listeners care, brought out bread and wine. Because of course, Abraham's coming back is, you know, just been in battle. Yeah, right. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who delivered your hands into your enemies. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, Abraham Hmm. tithes to him. This priest comes out, blesses Abraham, blesses him in the name of the God most high. I'm not going to unpack that fully yet, Mm -hmm. but... Is in this almost authoritarian position or, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but this this mediating priest-like position between God and Abram blesses him. And then Abram turns around and gives the tribute to this priest that in the Mosaic law, the people of Israel would give his tribute to to Yahweh, the tithe.
0: But of course, there wasn't the Mosaic
1: Law as we know it at that point. No, 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 no. Yeah. But what you're seeing yeah. is that the principles of the Mosaic Law aren't created out of thin air. Yeah. They're embedded in the principles of what in the God has, has devised in the story and what, what's been happening before the story. So you have this... This priest before the priesthood exists in Jerusalem before Jerusalem exists, receiving the tribute that's due a king that the Israelites would bring to Yahweh in the temple or the tabernacle when it was there. Wow. And, and so it's like,
0: yeah, what do I make up? of
1: that? Right. Now look at how Psalm 110, it's the only other reference in the Old Testament, okay. deals with Melchizedek. Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Yahweh will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, which is the mountain Jerusalem is on or Salem, you know. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, etc., etc. By the way, this is the most um, quoted psalm in the New Testament.
0: It's is actually it really? the most
1: quoted passage in the New Testament.
0: Is it really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Psalm 110. And is that because pointing directly back to Jesus and they're trying to, obviously Well, there's Jesus, a lot of things that yeah. point to Jesus. It just well, happens what? to be the no, most I mean, quoted. <laughs> I, mean, you know. I mean, the New Testament's writers wanting to say, hey, Jesus is from the order of Melchizedek. And then we're tried, supposed to try to unpack what that actually means. To me, is it saying it's kind of outside god's chosen children plan but it's still inside well it certainly is it's, outside god's
1: chosen people right when you look at the nation of israel or the seed of abraham as being those who are elect because that's what it was for all, all god's about special purpose yeah. but remember israel is elect and chosen for a greater purpose that extends beyond israel god's purpose has always been the restoration of his creation and all humanity mm-hmm. and you do see throughout the scriptures that god is working outside Israel,
0: even though Israel is his primary chosen vessel. Right, and so would it be safe to say that the New Testament writers wanted to make that point clear that this isn't just about the children of Israel? Well, what I would encourage is
1: if you start reading at Hebrews chapter seven, this is the only other mention of Melchizedek that you're going to find. But it's a long, like uh, roughly, two-chapter digression into how Jesus is like Melchizedek and how the principles you see in Melchizedek are fulfilled in Jesus. And so while Jesus is not a Levitical priesthood, nonetheless, Jesus is a better or greater high priest in the order of Melchizedek, who even seemed to be in a position over Abraham and therefore the Levitical priesthood.
0: Wow. That's awesome.
1: So... You, you know, th- there's all kinds of cool speculation that you can read in the intertestamental literature on this, too. But again, it is, it's, it's fan fiction, so keep that in mind. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's kind of what we know about Melchizedek. Yeah, cool, enigmatic, just amazing
0: kind of dude. And he has one of the coolest names. He really does. Here's one from the website. Does God make mistakes? If yes, holy cow, can you list them? (laughs) If no, can you offer an explanation to those who point to the flood as God's big eraser, red ink, or splotch of whiteout as evidence as he made a mistake?
1: You you know, it's cool that they've picked up on that side because I think the knee-jerk reaction of everyone is, of course, God does not make mistakes. But I wonder how God would answer that question in conversation. If you asked him, because there are instances in the scripture where God repents and it's the actual right. word that's used. And of course the, <laughs>
0: who does he repent to,
1: by the, the way, Genesis six episode with the flood right. is one. It's the first example he's like, uh, of this, my bad, where God just sees what humanity has become and he's grieved and he repents. You know, he turns he, away. He, he, Well, he, he's sad. He's sorry. Yeah. He, he, I, I don't want to put my words into the text words, but you kind of walk away with this sense, if we can humanize it, um, that he just
0: regrets, you know, what's happened and his role in it. How is that possible? Obviously, if he's omnipotent and omniscient and he knew this was going to happen. You know how do you... you? know
1: it's it's at a at some kind of metaphysical ontological level. This is one of those places where you just go, you shrug your shoulders and you mm-hmm. throw your hands up because well, we have all these amazing theological concepts and constructs for God, like omniscience and omnipotence, and and you know the immu- the immutability of God right. and 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 so forth. Um, and, you got to go with the evidence in in the scriptures, and you know the Old Testament has no shame and showing God to be like one of the dudes, you you know, Mm -hmm. he's.
0: And, you know, perhaps I think for a lot of people who may not take the flood as historical, say they, they view it more allegorical, you could almost make an easier leap to show that this is a story talking about humanity. God was really sad for what he did. We're not believing this was historical. So, but we see this poetic narrative of how much he loves the human race. And therefore maybe it's easier to say, you know what?
1: poetically I don't know.
0: speaking, you know, God, God regretted this. He was sad. And this is showing how much he's like, Hey, listen, I got a covenant with you guys. This is going to go on.
1: I, I understand what you're saying on that, Mark, but I think regardless if God literally wiped out humanity through a worldwide flood, mm-hmm. or if to your point, you take it as more just mythopoetic, right? The fact is God is grieved either way. Mm-hmm. And it still doesn't solve the problem of going, does God make mistakes? Mm-hmm. Because the story would still be indicating that God was sorry about certain things he put in motion, even though he arguably knew right. where it, they would go.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it, it could be the sense of saying, hey, he, he experiences the bevy emotions of just yeah. like we do. So we want to just point out that he's um, capable of regret and sadness, just like we are. Let me give you two things to hold on to and then what I think is
1: the best conclusion to the matter. There's two classic ways that people approach these aspects of God, where Mm -hmm. he seems too human and they're called anthropomorphisms. Anthropos is a Greek word that means human Mm -hmm. and um, like anthropology, you know, for example. And, you know, morph is like form, nature of something. And so there are some who say anytime the Bible is describing God in these ways, it's a literary device. It's an anthropomorphism. It's taking the, right. well, in their mind, the immutable God mm-hmm. and trying to make him understandable. Kelvin would call this condescension. That when God speaks and that when his word speaks, he condescends to our level and speaks in ways that we can understand in our limited human framework. Mm -hmm. And so there would be this argument that these are anthropomorphisms and what that attempts to do is get God off the hook so we can maintain Uh, our philosophical constructs of what we think God should be. Right. You see the you, you see the merit of it but you also see the problem Absolutely. with it. The other side is simply to say this. The Bible is a book that we believe is God's revelation to us and fully believe that God does condescend to us and speak to us in in language and and in and in terms and in metaphors that we can understand. Mm-hmm. At some level you got to stick to the story and stick to the data. Yeah. If you're a scientist you can't throw out the data you don't like to maintain your preconceived conclusions. So So it says God repents, just allow the story to say what it wants to say. Mm -hmm. And if that disrupts your view of God, oh, well, (laughs) maybe your view of God needs to be disrupted a little bit. And some tension needs to be brought in to some of the
0: assumptions that you're so quickly running to. So at very least, God is wanting to communicate to us something about himself.
1: Of course, of course. And not only about himself, but about what he's up to in this world, what his view of this world is and how he is interacting with this world to Mm -hmm. redeem this world, which the flood is fundamentally about. The purpose of judgment at the flood is not punishment for punishment's sake. The purpose of judgment in the flood is to try to renew and restore the world by purging all that has come in to destroy it.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. You know, you...
0: And it's a story. You
1: irradiate cancer cells so the healthy cells can continue on.
0: Yeah. It's a very simple story of no matter how bad you are, I'm still going to love you. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> ask the person who was like wiped out well, in the yeah. flood. <laughs> I'm talking about afterwards. You
0: can look back and they say, you know God decided, hey, I'm going to deal with the sin thing. I love you no matter what. So I'm putting a plan in place of redemption to take care of this stuff. I'm not going to wipe you guys out anymore.
1: So back to the question. Yeah. What was the question?
0: You want to restate it? I shall restate the question. Or maybe just the last bit of it. Sometimes we uh, get off track. Yeah. Does God make mistakes? And people point to the flood, the flood, the flood is God's big eraser, red ink, or splash of white out as evidence he made a mistake. So I guess the central question is was it a mistake? Does God I make would, mistakes? I
1: would encourage you in these moments, it's, it's all the more important to learn and maintain the language that the Bible uses. We want to turn. A concept into a synonym with mistake. Maybe, right. maybe that's just, mm-hmm. but I find it better at these places where there's so many possible false conclusions that could be drawn to come back to the court, come back to the nucleus of it all, mm-hmm. and just simply say, What does the Bible say? And the Bible says, God repented. Does God repent of things? Yes. Gotcha.
0: This one came in from Facebook. This is actually from Amy. Amy asks, do you think that Jesus was, quote, fully aware of who he was from birth? Or did he become aware possibly when he and Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem for Passover? They lost him and searched for him and finally found him teaching in the temple.
1: You know, you asked me what I think. Yeah. I'm going to answer this very specific to the question. hmm I, I, I don't have a clear sense myself. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have my mind made up on it. I've seen very compelling arguments to both sides where he's been fully aware and, and others that he kind of grew into a sense of awareness. And
0: fully aware, meaning fully aware that he was God. We, we right, yeah. right. You see,
1: and I think the purpose of that story of Jesus in the temple is to show that there certainly is something different about him. Mm-hmm. And what kind of awareness that might have maintained— uh, attained? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You do see Luke comment in the context of that story and around the Christmas story as well, that Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature. Right. So he is fully human. And that means you're growing into something as well. You know, there's, again, all this kind of speculative stuff out there. And fundamentally, it's, I think, an unanswerable question We need to maintain, of course, at all times that Jesus is fully God and fully human, but it's in in, in aspects like
0: this that we don't know how that plays out. Is there any uh, indication from maybe his contemporaries at the time that they thought maybe he was fully aware, younger, or obviously...
1: Well, there's nothing really known about Jesus before he's 30 years old.
0: You know, Matthew and
1: Luke give us the birth narrative. Yeah. And of course, Luke then goes on to include... Well, well, Matthew goes on, let's say, through two years old, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, through the whole escape to Egypt and whatnot. Yeah. And then, of course, Luke gives this this additional story of Jesus at the temple and his parents freaking out. And, of course, what 12-year-old boy that you know of wants to spend his time having <laughs> theological debate with rabbis in the temple? So automatically, on, Mom, you church. see there's something different yeah. there. And then Jesus' statement Uh, You don't know how sarcastic it is or how innocent it is or how naive it is because we don't have the intonation and inflection from the Bible. But when when Mary and Joseph are like, what are you doing to us? Didn't you think we'd be worried out of our minds? He goes, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So at least at the age of 12, he had this awareness of he wanted to be with his dad. And he knew that his dad was Yahweh. And he wanted to be spending time with him and learning about his dad and copying his dad. Like a lot of 12-year-olds want to when they Hmm. admire and look up to their dad. So you do see something different there. But how full, fully awareness is, how -hmm. how much was understood at the time, how much power was at his disposal when, you know, there's all these (laughs) other kind of classic... (laughs) You know, there's the apocryphal gospel stories of like Jesus as a kid making mud pies, and I'm not making this up. And really? yeah, and they're throwing them around at each other, and then Jesus makes his turn into birds and they fly away. And I think there's this one where <laughs> Jesus like either a kid falls out of a tree or pushes a kid out of a tree and he raises him from the dead, and Joseph cuts wow. too much off a board and he kind of makes it kind of Extend on and that and they're apocryphal stories, but mm-hmm. there are people who are going at it from the approach of going. He was always fully aware and fully in his divinity with full faculties of the divinity and that's from what, infancy.
0: What they're trying to prove.
1: Well, so maybe, so maybe, I mean, not, not that those specific instances <laughs> right, happen because right. they're apocryphal stories, but maybe, or maybe we need to emphasize the human aspect of him and go, he laid his divinity aside in some way or, mm-hmm. or, It was cloaked in some way, and through those early years, it was a path of realization. We just
0: Mm. don't really know. Or it could have been his 30th birthday party as he was blowing out the candles on his cake and making a wish. He wished for, God, I want to know who I am, and all of a sudden,
1: well, given that Jews do not celebrate birthdays and like, you know, we talked
0: about this with Christmas a couple weeks ago. I don't think right. it was that, but who am I and why am I here? Oh. <laughs> guess what? <laughs> you are the savior of the universe. <laughs> Moving on. Great question, Amy. Savior of the universe. Oh wow, we should probably Yeah, we got a we did a long one. We did do a long one. We only hit a few questions, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. Do you want to close up shop or do you want to do a speed round?
1: Nah, let's close up shop for this and uh, maybe we can speed round it next time. Sound good? Sounds good. You want to roll us out? Let's do it. Everyone, we want to thank you again. Um, This is questions you never thought you could ask in church.com. You can go to our website. I just listed it right there. Post any questions you might happen to have. We just love getting these. We love hearing what you guys are thinking about, what you're wrestling with. I want to encourage you. The questions that you're asking have been asked by so many other people as well and so many people before you. Never feel like you're alone in your questions. Never feel like you can't ask them. So we welcome you to submit them in and... uh, Continue to tune in. Maybe like us on uh, on Facebook or on your uh, podcast player of choice on iTunes, whatever it might be. And we'll uh, we'll catch you next time. God bless, guys. I got gas for a buck ninety
0: three in Fox Lake. Wow, that was a beautiful thing. This isn't the first time you mentioned your gas. No, No, I know, it really is an exciting moment for me every time. You You
1: can see what motivates me and moves me in life.
0: It's the Stay puffed Marshmallow Man.